Hi, uh, good morning. Welcome to In the Kitchen. I said good morning, even I, even though I know this isn't going to post until later in the day. Just know we recorded it in the morning, and that's I was thinking of our viewers in the morning when I said that. We could just say, if you're watching this now, don't watch it until Yeah, save this until the morning so that greeting makes more sense. Uh, my name is Darren. I'm one of the shepherds on staff at Fullerton Free. Uh, this is Jeff Lilly, who is also one of the shepherds on staff at Fullerton Free. And this is Katie Smiley, who is also one of the shepherds on staff at Fullerton Free. And uh, In the Kitchen is a, uh, a video that we shoot once a week uh, where we're talking about the text that we will be studying together in our services this coming Sunday. Uh, for this particular week, that's James 5, 13 through 20. And uh, this will be the final text in our study of the book of James. So we're finishing that up. In addition to uh, looking at the text, usually on the last Sunday like that, we'll do a little bit of a maybe just a slight recap. So there'll be some kind of a recap. Just a refresher for you, the purpose of doing the In the Kitchen videos is um, to, in some ways, equip you at home to be able to prepare your own in-home Bible study, your own in-home teaching. If you wanted to uh, take a week off from the live stream or a couple weeks off from the live stream and teach this text to your family or to your spouse or to your roommates or whatever, this is meant to give you some tools uh, in preparation for a teaching like that that you could do on your own. Um, I don't know whether anybody is using this video in that in that way that it's intended, but I, I've got high hopes that it's useful for somebody. But all that to say, if you are teaching this this weekend, um, which I am, uh, if you're teaching this this weekend, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to go back and hit some of the high points of the entire book of James. Anytime you come to the end of a study like this, it's probably helpful just to sort of re-highlight, hey, here are some major themes, these are some of the major things um, that we've seen, and, and then you kind of figure out how, the, how he's wrapping up the book uh, as you look at the specific text. So let me read this, and then we'll dive in together. Uh, this is James 5, 13 through 20. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, it's a, an incredible sort of ending to everything we've studied. Um, as far as major themes of the book, we know that demonstrable faith is woven through this all the way through, this idea that what you believe internally should be made manifest in your actions externally. And so in the beginning chapters, we saw this sense of you have to kind of do an internal inventory and assess what you do believe, because that is going to produce different things in your external. Um, then as we get further in, and as we've seen kind of week in and week out over the last three or four weeks, it becomes about relationships. It becomes about community. Um, even in the great message from last Sunday that Jeff taught, he's talking about the fact that there's so much, even in the in the illustrations of the farmer or of Job or whatever, that is communal. It's about what happens in, in being steadfast and patient with regard to the community around you and waiting for God to do what we can't do. And by the way, I, I thought that was a great message on Sunday. This text actually dovetails really beautifully with the with the call to patience and steadfastness. So um, 
instead of pretending like, as we've seen in the earlier text, instead of pretending like you know what tomorrow holds and like you can control all of that, trying to manipulate your money and trying to manipulate your, you know, your employees and all of these things that he's warned against, the encouragement on the other side is, no, trust God. You can't do these things, but God can do it. And so don't let yourself get freaked out. Don't let yourself get into all these petty squabbles, all these divisions. Resist the urge to fight one another. Don't be guided by the wisdom from the earth, but be guided by the wisdom from above. And as you begin to be steadfast, and as you begin to be patient, waiting for God to do what you can't do, in that vacuum where you otherwise would be striving and fighting and frauding and all these other things, in that vacuum, he here in this last text gives us what we should be doing instead. Instead of all the striving and all that work, instead, have a conversation with God. So just to kind of give you a quick idea of the way I'm planning to teach this, I'm planning to teach it straight through. So I'm not going to I'm not gonna do anything funky with my organization or whatever. I think he's organized it really beautifully here. But there in 13, he begins with kind of a, a broad overview. So there's kind, of a, there's kind of an overarching statement about all of life. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Well, we all have moments where we're suffering. So it isn't a question of whether or not there is suffering. It's a question of when. Are you suffering today? Will you be suffering next week, next month? Suffering is a part of everybody's life. So in those segments of life where you are suffering, he says, talk to God about it. Pray about it. Contrarily, he says, is anyone cheerful? Well, we're not all cheerful all the time. But in the same way that all of us have moments of suffering, we also all have moments of joy and moments of peace and moments of, of cheerfulness. So what he's doing there is he's going, category A or category B, it's, it's going to be one of these two. It's, your life's either going to be hard or your life's going to be stinky. And regardless, talk to God. So he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Well, that's, that's not intended to be two real super specific categories of like, you know, a specific kind of suffering or a specific kind of cheerfulness. He's basically saying no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, be in communication with God. Be in communication with God. And he'll give a couple of examples of ways that can even happen. So he'll go on and talk about, um, like, if you're sick, call for the elders. Let them pray over him. So there's not only just a, a, a call for us to be praying individually to God in singing praises or, or um, calling out to God in the midst of our suffering. But if we get to a place where we're in dire straits physically... To call for the elders and let the elders of the church, the leaders, uh, pray over us. This is something that we as elders at Fullerton Free do uh, kind of frequently. There are opportunities for us to go and pray for those who are hurting. He says in 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. He stretches out his language there, not just to be talking specifically about every individual who's sick, but the language he's using here about salvation and about raising up, that, that's got a broader sort of a salvific you know, he's talking big picture, even if the person we're praying for doesn't immediately get healed from the illness that they've got, the prayer of faith, that faith that that person has in Christ, which is demonstrated in action, will result in resurrection one way or another. But call the elders. Um, he also talks about this, this conversation and prayer that can happen between brothers. So he says in 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He's already talked about all of the divisions and all of the things that can divide us as Christians. And so here he's going, you know, th this isn't, by the way, um, in 16, it isn't just a broad sort of call that we should always be confessing our sins. I don't think it's not a, hey, you know, and it's certainly not justification to be, 
going to a priest or anybody like that. And that's not what we're going to do this well, morning. I thought we would. I thought maybe we would take a minute and go around the circle. And No. Can you start? No, but I, th- I think specifically it's talking about sins against one another. That inside our body, he's already talked about division. He's already talked about places where we've used our words or our actions to divide. That that's the work of Satan, to divide us. So I think what he's talking about here is going, if there is division, so he's, he's already talked about physical sickness. Now I think he's talking about spiritual sickness. If there's spiritual sickness in your community, go to the person that you've wronged or maybe the people that you've wronged and confess it. That's the kind of community we should have where we can own it and go, I was jealous or I was greedy or I was rude or I was prideful or whatever. And that we created a community where when that happens, the person who confesses their sin isn't dismissed, isn't judged, isn't set aside. But instead, there's the opportunity for those people to pray together. So he's addressing spiritual sickness. He's, he's talking about physical sickness. And he says here, you confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The, the unity of the body is restored. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives us an illustration of that uh, in the person of Elijah. And I love the fact that when he talks about Elijah, the first thing he says about Elijah, who's this great hero, is he has a nature like our own. So what's he saying? Well, Elijah also had moments of suffering. And he had moments of cheer. So there were moments where Elijah was feeling sorry for himself or moments where he was on the run or running for his life. But there are also these spectacular moments where he's raising the widow's son from the dead or he's calling down fire from heaven. And here James is looking at us and going, if you're tempted to think that Elijah was like in the superhero category, don't miss the fact that he he's just like us. He had great moments and bad moments. But here's the thing. In the moments where he was praying in faith, he was unstoppable. You know, like when he was aligned with the purposes of God, it, things went exactly the way he prayed. So I'll just kind of walk through that. Sorry, I'm taking a minute here. But then, but then, and then this last part at the very end, it, the way he closes the book, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So the last piece of this is, There are going to be people, and he says, from among you. So there are going to be people in your community. Remember, James has been preoccupied with community uh, throughout the the last two-thirds of this book. He says there are going to be people who wander into sin, and their life starts to demonstrate something other than the Christian faith. And you need to rescue them, right? And I was was thinking about that, and as I looked at it, I thought, who are these people? Because we know it's not possible. I mean, if you've put your faith in Jesus... That doesn't go away, right? So so if you wandered from your faith and I drew you back, I wouldn't be rescuing you from death. Only Jesus can rescue you from death and only Jesus covers a multitude of sins. And then it occurred to me that in the midst of our community, so in a church body like Fullerton Free, there are people who appear to be followers of Jesus who actually aren't. And I, as a finite human being, I can't tell the difference between the ones who are and aren't because that, that requires the ability to see a person's heart. All I can do is look at the demonstrable faith. And if that demonstrable faith, or maybe it's a demonstrable lack of faith, is apparent in the life of someone, I don't have the ability to know whether you've actually put your faith in Jesus or not. So I have to come at you the same way. I have to come at you as if you're someone who's never put their faith in Christ. Because it's possible you've never put your faith in Christ. I mean, not just Jeff, but anybody who does that. It's it's possible when you start to see someone who's divisive or someone who's wandered from the faith and is and is living in error wandered from the truth that we go after them because we don't have the ability to tell the difference so sorry there's my i was going to say brief summary i don't think it was that but uh what what do you guys see or what are, what are the questions you have what are the things that 
uh, that stir you up in the text? Well, I would pile on because I just think that that's, that's exactly what's happening here. And especially in connection, in context to those verses just before. Yeah. This whole idea that someone is going to go through a difficult time, but that everything that they do, the farmer, the prophet um, Job, was ultimately about somebody else. So that what they did was serving others. So then you come into this right out of those verses and then it starts talking about somebody else. So the, this idea that if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If he's cheerful, let him praise. That our first thought would be to turn to God. That if I'm sad, I should just, like a muscle reflex, just stop and go, man, I'm not feeling good. I feel like things are going bad today. I should think of praying to God. That if I'm happy and things are going great, I should think of praying and praising. Right. And then if I'm not, and this is what I love about that, is that it comes in and it says, is someone among you sick? You're not feeling like you want to pray and you're not going to. Then the thing you should do is actually go to others and say, would you pray for me? Because I'm not in the mood right now. Right. And I've been there before where it's like, God, you're just not my favorite person right now. I don't want to talk to you. And here he's saying, let others do that with you. Let others walk that path with you. Come into that. So yeah. I think that that's exactly what's happening here. Out of that context that he's just laid out, it's like you do that. You rely on others to walk with you during those difficult times. Or if you see someone who is struggling, then move towards them. Come alongside them. And it, and it lines up with the idea of praying without ceasing. This idea of like being in constant communication and communion with God but again, I like the fact that if, if I'm not paying attention to the verses that precede it and I don't have patience to wait on God to do what only he can do, then I don't have room in my life for prayer either because I'm, I've got to be busy striving. I've got to be pulling myself up on my own bootstraps or trying to manipulate things to put more money in my bank account. But it's the moment that I turn loose of all my striving that, that the, my life opens up for room to communicate with God and I start to recognize just how desperate I am actually for that kind of power and that kind of interaction. So I think it's interesting how James, the whole book kind of keeps trying to draw our, just like you guys are both saying, but draw our attention away from what's right in front of our nose and think about the broader picture of what God's doing, you know, in wealth and poverty. And when you're tempted to freak out on your friends or your church community or any of those things to just take a minute and pray, or even especially the situation where someone is sick, where else are we more tempted to grasp at control for the events, the treatments, the things that they're doing? You know, we had a situation with our daughter. She has an autoimmune disorder. And it was like, I couldn't get out of the front of my, right here. That's the only thing I could focus on. And we actually did have um, an elder and some staff members and friends pray over her. And it was a perfect picture of this moment where I'm able to suddenly go, oh, this is a bigger picture. Yeah. God's at work in her life. God's at work in my life. And all the people around that circle, still when I see them, that's the moment that I picture is us praying over our sick daughter and thinking through, God's in control of this. I have to stop living two inches in front of my face and think about him and pray to him and, and give him more power in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as that perspective grows, you start to realize like, oh, what does the community of faith look like when we're not divided and when we're not attacking each other and when we're not backbiting and whatever? Well, it starts to look like a community that not only is in constant conversation with God individually, 
but is in constant conversation with God corporately, like together we're approaching God. Yeah, it's a huge call for church and being involved in the church. Right. I mean, you look at this otherwise and go, if you're out of there on your own and going, well, I can read my Bible, I can talk to God on my own. It's like, this doesn't work for you. Yeah. That you literally have to be in that community and let him call for the elders of the church it means that you already have that relationship. Right. You, there, there are, there is a church, a body of believers there. There are elders there. That when you are in need, that's not the time to yank the chain and go. Well, gosh, I, I should call somebody, and I don't have anybody to call. It's actually a blessing to be a part of a body that you can lean into during those difficult times. Yeah. So it's a great call. Um, and I've shared this verse before with people who. Uh, friends of mine who've thought, ah, I don't really do church anymore. And you're like, actually, you should. You need you know? this, right? Because there's going to be times when your life is not going to necessarily just go all perfect. It's true. I think there's that tendency for us to just think of Christianity in terms of our individual relationship with God and how am I doing with him? And that's why people would say, ah, I don't want to do church anymore. But when you read just these seven or eight verses, you can't separate yourself from a community of people who are challenging you and helping you right. kind of step a little bit away from your problems or from your problems within. And, um, I don't know. I think it's interesting to even say if anyone's wandering, there's right. that thing right there. We have to know each other well enough to know, right. Hey, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him in a while. Of course, at this point, you know, we're not seeing haven't seen other. anybody in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Where is so-and-so? Yeah. He's on a Zoom call. Right. Um, but yeah, thinking through I, those relationships and being willing to put yourself out there, not just for yourself, but for the people around you as well. well it's this beautiful picture, too. I like this. This confession thing is hard. Like, it's hard to think about confessing the places where I've wronged someone else or wronged a group of people. But there's also something beautiful about being in the kind of community where that sort of confession can happen and you know the people you're confessing to will pray with you and for you mm -hmm. instead of beating you up and lording it over you for yeah. the rest. You know, like part of the reason why we have friends who've been like, I love Jesus, but I got no use for the church is because at one point or another, they've probably been caught in some kind of sin, which we all do. Right. And yet they've been rejected or they've been shamed or they've been ostracized. And as a result, it's like, well, I don't need the grief. But in the, in the, in the proper church context... There is a safety, a humble solidarity among people where we can own the fact that we're broken and know that what we get out of that is not judgment, but increased prayer on our behalf. Like, that's pretty cool. I had a situation, this is probably 15, 20 years ago, but I um, was on the phone with a friend. I lied to her about something. <laughs> confessing my sins. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, I lied to her, and this was like a real phone phone, by the way. Um, I called, and, and then I hung up. And I sat down in my chair for a second and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to do something about that. So I called her right back and I said, I lied to you. <laughs> she said, okay, is there anything else? <laughs> Which was a great question. It stuck with me so often when I'm having that kind of a relational conversation, I'll think about that moment and go, okay, wait, is there anything else? Because sometimes you don't tell the real problem first. I said, no, there's nothing else. She prayed for me and that was it. That was it. It's awesome. And I wonder how many of us have had that healthy, honest interaction with other Christians where we don't feel like we have to defend ourselves. Right. And we're not getting attacked, but we're held to account. Yeah. We have to confess. And then we pray for each other and we are literally healed from that sin. Right. Like, I don't carry around that lie. 
It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And I don't think about it anymore other than to think about it in a healthy way rather than um, when we confess and then we're beaten over the head. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, how could you? That prompted in my head another another quick comment, too, about, about this idea of the prayer of the elders and then the place for confession of sin in that. It's a little yeah. bit interesting to be like, are we supposed to be confessing our sin to the elders? And yeah. in fact, that is a place where the text gets taken out of context and used for other things. It's important to know here that, that all James is saying is that when you're in the throes of death, you know, like when you are sick and you're in desperate need of elder prayer, right? When, when it's like down to the wire, you may also be in a position in your life where you're recognizing there are other things you want to get right, you know? And so it, it is a great practice. And I don't know that we as elders have always done this, at least not here that I remember, but it's, it's not that you go to people that you're praying over and go, you need to confess your sin. Is there, is there sin in your life that's making you sick? That's not what he's saying at all. But rather, if you're there and you're praying over the person for their illness, give them the opportunity to go, is there anything else stirring in you that, that we could pray for you with regard to that isn't physical sickness, but is spiritual sickness and allow it to be both of those. I, I like that opportunity for the very same reason you're talking about here. And it's such a clear picture of that. I, I think it's Luke 4 or 5 where the, they lower um, mm-hmm. the paralytic down through the roof yeah. and tear the roof apart because they can't get to Jesus. And then there's that whole thing where Jesus says, my son, you're, you're, um, I think he says your sins are forgiven first. Or he might say you're healed. And then the question is, hey, who are you to do this? And he says, which is easier right. to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Yeah. And that point is just like that right here. It's this question of how much of our sickness is the result of sin and ultimately much of it. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you're sick because you sinned in that particular thing. But it doesn't move that sin question off the table. It leaves it right there. It's just like you said, if you're going to pray for somebody's sickness, Lord, we want this person to be well how many times do we pray for our friends that they would actually come out of sin, that they're, that they would seek the Lord and confess and and be forgiven in that regard. I rarely ever pray that prayer. And literally reading through this passage reminded me of that, that, that there are people I pray for, for their health, but rarely are there people that I'm praying for specifically about their sin. Now there are some people that are deep in sin that I do pray for. I don't want that to sound wrong. But there's oftentimes, I will, just as soon, if you say, hey, will you pray for me? I typically think that means they're going through something difficult, right. a struggling time, or they, they are having some health issues. Um, some dear friends are going into surgery very soon, and you just look at it and go, I've been praying and praying, those kind of things. But then you look at it and go, I know that sin is in my life on a regular basis. Am I praying for you guys on a regular right. basis on that line? And yet these friends did just that. They lowered him down. And what Jesus saw was an opportunity to actually forgive of sins. Yeah. It's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're at the end of our time. Any any last things we got to get in here before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, famous for bringing up yes. other questions. But uh, I'm looking forward to this message just simply because that prayer of faith yeah. is a big question. Uh, and it puts in our minds this idea that, man, if we just had enough faith and we would pray, everybody would be healed. And <laughs> right. So I'm going to be excited to hear what you say. Oh, I'm going to answer all your questions okay. about that. On looking Sunday. forward to it. Yeah, no, that is, I mean, that is powerful. That whole That whole statement at the beginning of 15... The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up yes. is really interesting. Um, and it, it begs the question, what exactly he's talking about? What is that prayer of faith? What does he mean when it says it will 
you know, save the one who was sick. What's that salvation look like and whatever. So. But even just to remember James over the course of time calling us not to live right in front of our noses. Right. And so Big picture. That, those kinds of prayers, they force you to be vulnerable with other people and with God to yeah. just put yourself out there. So we kind of shy away from it thinking, but what if it doesn't? Right. It's like, well, but that's still right in front of your nose. You might have a plan that you don't see. Yeah, Three yeah. years and six months later. Yeah, absolutely. It might change. So it's really good. Yeah, and then, well, so would we go on and on? <laughs> uh, just last thing, as I'd say in that in that very last yeah. section, I'm reminded about the importance of not not giving up on people. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's easy to go, well, that person wandered off, and they're a jerk, and they're living a crummy life, and good riddance. You know, like that, that that is not the that's not the posture of a disciple. There's never an opportunity for us to to go, yeah, I, I shouldn't go after that person. Like, we should always go after that person. You're talking about the difference between life and death. And there's never a time to, to go, uh, somebody else's problem. You know, like, no, it's he's, he's wanting us to take some responsibility for the care, you know, the care of others here too. And that, that just comes back to that same community thing. So, all right, we're over our time. Sorry, uh, you know, whatever. Sorry, not sorry. Have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks very much to both of you, and uh, we will see you next week. By the way, next week, well, next week is a response Sunday, so there isn't an In the Kitchen video for next week, but the following week, there'll be an In the Kitchen video for Daniel chapter 1, which we'll be studying together at church in two weeks. All right, bye. See you later.